Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 327 of the podcast. It is December 18th, 2018. And joining me today is Mark Rupe Vandervoort, PhD. He's joining me from Utrecht in the Netherlands. We first met back in 2009 when Mark invited me to come speak at a Dutch Lean Healthcare Conference. And we've crossed paths many times since as Mark has frequently visited the U.S. for the annual Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit. It's usually come with a large group of Dutch Lean Healthcare Practitioners for many different organizations. You know, they have all been collaborating through an organization he chairs called LIDS, which has 60 organizations as members. So there's quite, quite a lot of lean healthcare work taking place in the Netherlands. I've also had a chance to go back and visit Mark's current employer, San Antonius Hospital, where he is vice president of operations management and leads the application of lean principles and several supporting teams. Mark has also written three practical books on the application of lean in healthcare. So today we'll be talking about his learning and his experience with lean and Dutch healthcare organizations. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on some of the differences in the Dutch system and what are some of the ways in which it's similar to the American system. We'll also discuss the connection between value-based healthcare and lean with the focus uh, on patient outcomes and quality of life, uh, as well as other topics uh, about lean and leadership. So if you'd like to um, find links to Mark's profile and um, his blog and other information about him, you, you can go to leanblog.org slash 327. Well, Mark, hi. Thank you for joining us from the Netherlands. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to talk to you again and to, to have you finally here uh, as a podcast guest. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you for your invitation. It's a real pleasure to be on your show. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's been, gosh, it's probably been almost 10 years now um, since we've met and I feel like this is overdue. I don't know why um, I haven't had you on the podcast before. So uh, my apologies for that, but I think we'll have a good conversation here today and uh, we, we can always do this. We you know do this again at some point. It's a bit special because you were part of introducing lean in healthcare in the Netherlands uh, to begin with. Because in 2009, we had the first summit on lean in healthcare, and you were our main guest speaker. So it, it is special. Well, I was happy to, I was happy that you invited me then, and you know, I've had a chance to come back and um, you know, follow what you're doing, and I'm glad we'll have 
uh, a chance to talk about this today because you, you've played you've played a big role. I've, I've just played, uh, you know, hopefully some small helpful role. You know, so we'll talk about the different organizations you've been involved in. But you always like to ask guests, so I'll, I'll ask you: How did you get introduced to Lean? You know, at what point was that in your career? Um, I'm always curious how you got started with this. It's kind of funny because the, uh, there was a, uh, a guy from another hospital uh, approaching me and a colleague as I was working in the Dutch Institute for Healthcare. Uh, and he invited us to help him introduce Lean. And I have a business background and uh, my association with Lean was uh, pretty negative. So I associated with uh, short-term um, efficiency improvement um, and not for quality improvement or anything like that. Uh, and that was his uh, aim. Uh, so I recommended him not to use Lean and to forget it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few months later, I even recommended to the, uh, the president of our uh, quality institute. Uh, but the guy came back and gave me the book that he owed away and said, uh, you don't seem to really know what you're talking about when you talk right. about Lean. So you might want to study the, the source where it came from. Um, and when I read The Other Way, I, I really got interested and I found out that uh, yeah, you have to look beyond the first stories I heard and uh, that it actually is very close to the same values that, that are present in healthcare. It's all about value and improvement and quality. So my, that was my first experience, yeah. Yeah, well, and that happens to a lot of people, whether it's in manufacturing or uh, in healthcare. There, there's a big difference between what the Toyota way would describe, you know, this balance of continuous improvement and respect for people. You know, if you look at the uh, Toyota production system, Toyota describes it as focusing on flow and quality at the source. So it's sort of an endless source of frustration for me when, um, you know, you'll hear sometimes people will say things like, well, lean is all about efficiency and I'm like, well, that, that's a partial understanding of, of lean. And, you know, flow is different than efficiency. Or when, you know, when people sort of imply that um, this is a different topic for a different day, maybe that um, Six Sigma is the only way to improve quality. And that lean is only about flow. Um, it, it, it's good, like you said, when people can go to a source like uh, Toyota, they, they would get a different, I think, more accurate uh, perspective. Sounds like was your experience. Definitely. Yes. Also later when I visited Toyota, that was also helpful. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine that helps you when you're introducing the idea of lean to people in healthcare. I mean, I'm curious, I mean, do you, uh, between translation from the English word lean uh, into, into Dutch, I mean, is there, you know, as much of a problem or what, what word, what terminology do you use internally? I'm curious what the, the connotations are because the word lean in many ways sounds very negative to people in, in, in America. Yeah, the, the using the English word is no problem. The Dutch are very uh, English language oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always reluctant to use the word lean for the connotation. Um, right. And in the beginning in my former hospital, uh, when it started, uh, we, we uh, avoided the word lean. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, there were three medical specialists who got involved and one of them was actually who, uh, proposed to, to bring it to the Netherlands, uh, Peter Cable. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, they were individually um, enthusiastic about Lean because they came into contact with it. Uh, and they spread, they spread in a very positive way Lean about continuous improvement, patient orientation, and, uh, and as such. So they, uh, it, it got a positive connotation actually in our hospital. Uh, so after more than a year not uh, avoiding the word lean, but not providing an alternative, uh, everybody started talking about doing lean, uh, how is your lean activity, what is the lean board? So it became a word uh, which uh, was um, uh, used by all the people, all the professionals. So we decided to use it uh, in the end after all. And it's uh, also nationally, everybody talks about lean. So. In my hospital where, where I work now since five years, we, we started the, the word, um, we had our own, um, how do you say, a few letters which are, um, which have a, a meaning. Like, a, like an acronym, it spells acronym. out something. Right. And it's, uh, it's a Dutch acronym for increasing your problem solving capacity. And it has a double meaning. Uh, so that was uh, PV plus. Um, but lean came, kept coming back. So we called it PV plus slash lean, mm -hmm. uh, which will probably keep until we have uh, our own, um, like the Toyota production system, our own version of that. And then I think it will dissolve in that. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like um, you got people off on the, the, the right start and, of giving them reason to have positive uh, response and, and reactions and impressions of, of lean. You know, when I was first there in 2009 at that conference that, that you organized, I was impressed how the hospital you were working with then framed things uh, with, with the term translated to English, loving care. Right. Yes. Lean and loving care. I thought that was very powerful um, when, when that was, uh, when, when, when it was framed that way, because, you know, it's patient oriented and, you know, it, it, it's not creating this mistaken impression of, you know, robotic efficiency. You know, the healthcare is by nature, it should be a loving environment and lean can help support, if not enhance that, right? Right, yes. So hospitals have become quite large and complex organizations. So you need lean on the one hand for the process uh, point of view and, but, but loving care refers to the individual relationship in that process. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's balancing those two perspectives. And so what, I mean, what were some of the um, successes that you've seen and, you know, in, in engaging people, focusing on, on patients, um, improving care, improving the loving environment. You, you've been at San Antonio's for how many years now? Over five years. For over five years. I mean, what, what are some of the general, um, uh, you know, if you will, wins or, you know, can you share, you know, some of the success stories where lean has helped make an impact? Yeah. Um, I think one of the nicest is, um, um, I don't know how to translate it exactly to English, but it's called um, admission without a bed. And until a few years ago, we would uh, admit patients who are going to be operated today in a, in a surgical ward. They would uh, be. Um, they would literally sit. They walk inside into the hospital with their luggage, uh, go to the ward, and and get a bed and sit on their bed waiting to be operated. Uh, and this had a few consequences. Um, there was a bed shortage, so uh, th that was a hospital-wide problem. 
And the nurses in the wards uh, for years already had a feeling of uh, this, the few hours in the morning are very stressful hours because they have to take care of the patients who uh, spend the night and they have to receive the patients coming in. And, and those processes are a little bit unpredictable by the time they come in. So they always uh, conflict with each other. Right. So they feel like they, they can't give enough attention to the peop- uh, patients present and not enough uh, to the patients coming in. So we were analyzing uh, the data and we were discussing with the nurses amongst each other and with others uh, about improvement opportunities. And there was a student showing a graph of what time the patients enter the ward and what patients, what time they are discharged uh, in the 24 hour. And you could see that there was a big ball coming in early between seven and nine or 10 and leaving between 10 and 12. And then one of the nurses was gazing at this graph and said, why did we admit them in the first place? Yeah. And this was this ba-bam, like, <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> why Chal- challenging. Do- yeah, it's good to challenge the way, we've, the way it's always been done. Right. And uh, so she said, let's stop doing that. And uh, we admit patients at the OR and after the OR bring them to the ward. But this is complex to change. It's not complex as an ID, but it's complex to realize. For starters, it's illegal. So we can't give patients medications if they're not, if they don't have a bed assigned to them in the system. Even our IT system wouldn't allow us doing that. So we had to make workarounds. We had to create fake beds and assign patients as if they have a bed uh, to be able to uh, to pull it off. And we just started with, uh, well, they just started with uh, one room for, uh, for uh, the beds they took out, made a patient room reception area out, out of it and just started. And out of those experiences, we got an uh, improvement cycle. They made uh, small improvements on the spot. They made Kaizen's for big improvements. Had a weak, uh, weak small uh, event with all associated departments and discussing what the problems are and how they can improve them. Mm-hmm. And uh, more than a year later, hospital-wide on two locations, everybody's working like that. I think there are now uh, more than 100 patients being admitted every day with this new uh, method driven by a few nurses who just started thinking, why do we do it like we do it? Yeah. And they, and it's, we have now more beds available because of that, but they also feel they can focus much more on the patients, which, which gives them um, improves patient quality and improves the uh, feeling of having less stress in your work during the day. So they are yeah. really proud of this, uh, this result. And uh, it even became a, a kind of a, they were so enthusiastic about it in their uh, things like Facebook or, or at parties that nurses started uh, applying for jobs at these wards because they oh. heard that this is a great environment to work and you can improve things and uh, et cetera. Well, that, that's, that's a really good sign. And you know, the story you tell there, to compare it back to um, your, your early experience in business, that, that's, that's, that's an altogether different story than focusing on, on cost. Right, yeah, and, the, and the funny thing is that it is more efficient, the new method. Well, yeah, but, yeah. But that's a side effect. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a result yeah. of the second, secondary result. So, but you're right. It's yeah. first about patient and, uh, and employee quality. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I was uh, in Japan just uh, two weeks ago um, when we're, as we're recording this, and I had a chance to spend a day at what they call a dojo, a training center that was run by some former Toyota leaders. Right. 
and they had a little simulated uh, assembly area that they would use to demonstrate and teach us how to observe work and uh, look for waste. And you might think, okay, it was very, uh, in a way you think very fundamental, looking for waste, thinking of Kaizen opportunities. Um, but it was great to see how they taught it, kind of really stepping back to um, you know, re a chance to relearn um, and, and think about some of the basics in a fresh way. But the one thing that, that stood out very clearly is that all of the Kaizen that they um, focused on in their simulated process was completely focused on reducing worker walking motion and improving mm -hmm. ergonomics. Hmm. Those are the main things they focused on. And then guess what? Well, then if you fix those problems, flow tends to improve, you reduce risk of error. I mean, it was, it was beautiful to see them articulate and demonstrate that indirect effect, which, you know, right. it's, it's, it's ironic, uh, maybe in a way that, you know, I certainly, we see this a lot here in the US and I think it happens in other countries when, when cost is the dominant focus, you tend not to really improve cost. But when you focus on flow and the employees and the customer, then cost tends to follow. Yeah, I even heard there's now a scientific publication about that, that made a correlation between hospitals focusing on efficiency are actually less efficient than the ones who are not doing it. Yeah, because you know, the, I mean, I saw this going back to my manufacturing days at General Motors where people would, would, would joke, um, you know, we'll save money no matter how much it costs us. <laughs> because there was truth in that. You can make all sorts of uh, bad decisions. Um, they're just short-term short, short -term focus. I, th I think that's where the beauty of, you know, you mentioned the book, The Toyota Way. Principle number one in that book is to make decisions based on the long-term perspective. Right. I mean, have you been able to help influence people um, to, to be a little bit more long-term focused in, in your work with hospitals there? Yes, we, the, um, for us, this, uh, the momentum we have on that is now um, integrating lean with value-based healthcare. And my hospital, that's uh, uh, another big theme. And also uh, in the Netherlands, a lot of hospitals are working with it. Uh, I think probably as much as lean. So both, I think, are about a third of the hospitals have it now in their strategy, uh, explicitly as a strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, we are now in Antonius Hospital, we are merging the two perspectives. Uh, Velvis Healthcare for us is uh, defining patient outcomes from a medical perspective and a patient experience perspective, the quality of life. And um, measuring that and uh, also long-term effects, uh, if necessary, six months or five years after treatment. And then get a feedback loop on it and benchmark with other hospitals on it, inside the hospital and outside with other hospitals, and get an improvement cycle on that. And that gives us real long-term value-based perspective on how we want to provide care and have much more informed shared decision-making for patients on consequences of their treatment choices. And uh, lean, um, the use of lean is now moving towards supporting that, uh, uh, that um, focus on improving value for patients. And that really brings it into the, the long-term collaborative focus on, the, on, our, on our hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, um, does that work around value-based healthcare and quality of life and, and patient outcomes, does that include trying to solve challenges or, around 
trying to help keep people healthy and out of the hospital instead of treating them more efficiently and with better quality once they're admitted? Um, would, would that be, because in the US that's one of the initiatives that hospitals are working on. It, it creates challenges when the, re when, when the financial model for the hospital is often based on uh, reimbursement of, uh, for activity, where if a hospital and a health system can do things to, to keep patients at home, to keep them healthy, to prevent admissions, um, sometimes in the U.S. that creates financial challenges, even when it's the right thing for the patient. So I was wondering if, if you could maybe set a little bit of context around, you know, the big picture of, of Dutch healthcare. Um, my understanding from visiting is that the system is in a lot of ways more similar to the U.S. than it is to say the, the British model or the Canadian model, if, if you can elaborate on that. Uh, yes, we have similar challenges uh, with the payment model. Um, I think we're a little bit hybrid between the two uh, models, but more close to the U.S. model probably. Mm -hmm. So we are, uh, every hospital is an independent uh, organization. So we're not governmental. Uh, I think in the Dutch we call it semi-public uh, type of organization. Uh, so we are heavily uh, governmental controlled as a sector, but you are independent uh, entities and all, pretty much all non-for-profit. There are a few um, experiments, but the rest is uh, non-profit. Uh, and the insurance companies have a big role in the Netherlands on, um, on uh, moving the money through the system. Um, so it, it's not what we would call uh, a single, it's not a single payer model. Um, like you have in other countries, that you, you have private competing insurance companies in the Netherlands. Yes. The, the, every year, 1st of January, every Dutch person can switch insurance company. Uh, by law, we all have an insurance, uh, you have to. And every insurance company has to accept every individual. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the difference is actually quite small, interestingly. Uh, so it's you're, you're talking about... $10 difference per month between uh, insurance companies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more marketing and, and service. Uh, and it's also their main offering is by law what they have to offer. So it's only the extras they can uh, have a difference between them. Mm -hmm. And also every hospital has to accept every patient. But you can have some models where it's more expensive if you want to choose every hospital or you, have your, or you have the preferred hospital of the insurance company. Oh, okay. So that's pretty much the, the model. And we do get paid also per patient, per activity, and not on, the, not on the health of the population. And there's a lot of talk about changing that, um, but it, it's hard to figure out how to do that. It, it, it's proving to be very difficult here in the U.S. Um, with um, similar, similar dynamics. You know, our... our um, requirement for having health insurance uh, still leaves gaps where there are still um, tens of millions of people without coverage. It, the, the, that number is lower than it was before the, the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are still a lot of people, um, you know, for, for, you know where, where insurance is still too expensive. Uh, the penalty for not having, the, for not having insurance uh, is relatively low. Uh, compared to that. So our mandate seems like a weaker mandate than in the Dutch model. 
the the drive for um, moving uh, of of providing less care actually comes from a different uh, corner now. It's a shortage of professionals, nurses in particular. Oh. We have a nationwide shortage, uh, especially for specialized nurses, but also in general, for example, on the uh, OR. Uh, so we are less able to, pr we cannot provide all the care, even what we are uh, financially agreed on. So that drives uh, innovation. We have to figure out ways to serve all the patients with that, with less admissions and so on. Yeah. And it, do you know, is that a problem across the EU? Um, are, are there nurses coming in from other countries under, on, you know, kind of EU, uh, you know, the, the ability for people to move pretty freely across borders? Um, I don't know. For, I don't know exactly how big the problem in other countries is. It has to do with the aging population. Um, so and that is in most countries. Yeah. Uh, but there's not a lot of nurses working in other countries within Europe because of the language and the cultural barriers. Mm -hmm. um, but if this continues for years, and I, and I do wonder if there are countries where there's uh, more nurses than needed. I'm not sure if there is any. So, uh, no, yeah. I yeah. And then just one other question, just in terms of, you know, compare and contrast with uh, different countries, you know, in the U.S. pricing, when the government pays for healthcare, which is about half of American healthcare now, those prices are very much set by the federal government. But when it's private hospitals and insurance companies, that becomes a matter of negotiation. Where uh, in Japan, you know, they pointed out when I was there recently um, that even though they have a lot of private organizations and private payers, their uh, prices are set by the government based on activity uh, in, in a very consistent way. What, how, how does it work in the Netherlands? So it is a, the negotiation model, uh, but it's hard to figure out the prices exactly of each, of each care. So it's, uh, it's grouped into large groups. Uh, and uh, it's questionable how much competition there really is because our, all the hospitals have merged so much. Mm. That's uh, quite a lot of areas. There's only one hospital left. Uh, and maybe some areas there's two or three left. So it's very relative how much competition there is. Um, so it's, it's more of um, the sort of famous Dutch consensus model of um, they have now, for example, all the hospitals, insurance companies and government have agreed but in 2021, I believe, our budget will be uh, com completely come to a stop, our increase every year. So we will get zero increase after that year. And that gives a, a nationwide uh, urgency to change our, our system. Mm -hmm. uh, and then insurance companies try to, to negotiate with each hospitals to end up with that uh, average percentage, which will be zero in two years. Mm. Uh, and but that, of course, every hospital is hoping that they're one of the few which might be able to grow a bit. Uh, that, that's sort of the negotiation game that starts then. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we're kind of comparing the health system model in, in different countries. But, you know, when we come back now to lean and the way we manage, the way we improve, the, the philosophy of lean, there's, uh, you know, a lot that's transferable across industries and across national borders. You know, I've been 
uh, fortunate to uh, to come and meet with you and visit your hospitals um, a couple of times. You and, and a large group from the Netherlands have uh, come to the U.S. many times to the Catalysis Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit events. And so I always admire that there's that willingness to travel and learn from outside perspectives. Um, I was wondering if you could share some reflections on that, you know, coming to the U.S. And I know in particular, uh, Jeff Koss has been uh, somebody in, in Washington State, I believe, who's been uh, a big influence, if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, correct. Uh, yes, we that is a big part of our learning that that we um, we go uh, also in the Netherlands to visit each other and other companies. But every year there's at least one, I think, usually two trips uh, to uh, United States and since recently also to Japan. And the United States has become kind of a um, a routine. Um, and. Uh, I always liked the saying of Einstein, at least it's attributed to Einstein, that he said uh, you cannot solve a problem with the same type of thinking that created it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to go to an environment with a different type of thinking, like Toyota, uh, and, and that confronts you with your own thinking. And somehow it's much easier to get a group of doctors and, and executives to spend a week in the United States than three days in the Netherlands. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works. We make it a big trip. We set a date six months ahead, and uh, we're all going. And that gives us uh, then a preparation. What are our learning goals? Why are we leave? Why are we going there? And every day we reflect on our learnings. And th that gives a really powerful model uh, to 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 accelerate your learning and your thinking about it. And we always visit uh, non-hospital environments and hospital environments. Mm -hmm. that, that's the, I think an important combination. And Jeff Kass has been the best visit we had uh, in all those years. I think we've done eight or nine trips now or so, maybe 10 even. Uh, and he was just a, nobody knew anything, nothing to expect. He was a small uh, uh, company of furniture. Uh, I think he has grown now, he's, now he's maybe about 200 people. And he blew us away. It was uh, so inspiring. Uh, and he got he got all the aspects of uh, of Toyota or Lean the, the hard uh, process uh, system pool system, also especially it struck us the the people aspect the the commitment of the people the ownership um, the the um, how do you say self evidence that it's normal for them that you're contributing to the to the total process and to the to the value chain in the company. And when you just talked about uh, what is lean about, uh, efficiency or quality, when Jeff walks through our hospital, um, and it took a few years before uh, I asked him this question and then he explained it to me, when he, he knows quite easily how advanced our a hospital or a department is with application of lean. And, and I asked him, what does he look at when he, when he, when he uh, thinks about that? And until that time, I always looked at things like uh, how much movement is there? Are people waiting? Is there uh, stacks uh, laying around? So sort of physical evidence of waste. Right. But he doesn't do that. He looks at the people and their uh, physical uh, posture and their face expression. And if there is a lot of uh, stressful signs, mm -hmm. then he knows there's a lot of waste present. 
Mm. As simple as that. That that completely changed my perspective on lean and yeah. uh, what to look at. But also, so when we had a lot of discussions, for example, is walking around waste or not? And people will defend walking around that it's also healthy and necessary. Mm. <laughs> and since that visit of... <laughs> And since that visit of Jeff, I realized, let's just focus on what causes stress. Yeah. If people are annoyed that they have to walk a lot, then that's a waste we need to reduce. Uh, and we have lots of uh, stress uh, in, uh, visible and waste associated with that. And we can focus a lot of years on that. And after that, we'll have those luxury discussions <laughs> on the rest of the waste uh, present. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have that discussion a lot with people in hospitals. Um, I mean, you know, nobody's expecting uh, healthcare professionals to be completely stationary. Um, but, you know, the, the, the shuffling around, you know, uh, if someone's wearing an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, you, know, you might look and ask, well, is your heart rate really increasing? from a little bit of kind of shuffling, walking around. Maybe their heart rate's going up because they're stressed out, which is mm -hmm. different. I don't think that's really um, the right kind of uh, healthy heart rate uh, response you'd be looking for. But, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a difference between um, being able to actually take a lunch break where you can go and take a purposeful walk and maybe sweat a little bit versus mm -hmm. workplace walking, shuffling, uh, that, that, that might not really be uh, um, good from an exercise standpoint. So, you know, if people can actually, you know, I think one challenge, if, people, if nurses and, and, other, and doctors and others can actually get home on time without having to stay and work overtime, maybe they can mm -hmm. go and, you know, properly go for a jog and, and get some fresh air and, and better exercise instead of staying late at work. Right. Right. Yeah. So our, our, the mission of my hospital is um, it doesn't translate exactly to English, but ensuring quality of life together. Mm. Mm -hmm. And until recently, we would, when we discussed the meaning of our mission, we would always discuss patient care. <coughs> but since, um, since I uh, think about this year, we, we now always explain our mission as aimed towards patients and employees quality of life of our employees is uh, equally important. You cannot take care of patients if you cannot take care, if you don't have your own quality of life. Yeah. Uh, and it would be embarrassing if we are aimed at improving quality of life of patients and then our own providers are become stressful, become ill and become patients which then have to be treated uh, well. So that's, which I'm afraid is happening uh, too much. Yeah. And another thing that, that we learned a lot from, from visiting Jeff, and we went to him again this year with a group of eight people from my hospital and also three other hospitals, is the, the length he goes to um, uh, empower the people in his uh, uh, in the shop floor, the, the empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, for example, uh, every day they have a five-minute uh, stop where they teach each other uh, a routine. And each day, a different team member teaches the rest. So everybody's empowered as a teacher to their colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, and if they do a Kaizen, they uh, calculate the waste associated with the problem. And they have a simple uh, math to do that. And you have automatically the authority to spend as much money as the waste is costing on a yearly basis. Uh, the only thing you have to do is look at the uh, day board of the financial department, which is visible for everyone. And if the cash flow is green, they can spend that money on the Kaizen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Simple as that. 
so, so that really makes us think, uh, on the one hand, a nurse is, is, uh, has a lot of authority of taking care of patients. But on the other hand, uh, there's a lot of simple decisions that are still based on leadership uh, that they, they have to require a decision from leadership. And we feel there's, we can give a lot more empowerment to, uh, to everybody working on the shop floor. Uh, and, and the Kaizen method is the way to empower them because that gives, gives a way that ensures you're not optimizing your own uh, square foot that you're working on, but that you're looking at a, a total patient perspective from everybody involved. Mm-hmm. So um, teaching the Kaizen method, we now associated with uh, uh, empowering people to get yeah. a lot more authority on their daily processes as well as improving processes. Um, you know, in your in your travels um, to the U.S. and and, and throughout Europe, um, uh, Peter Cable, your associate and, and mutual friend, um, who you mentioned earlier, uh, was part of a group that came with me and uh, Kaizen Institute to visit Japan in 2012. And uh, I should follow up with him and be interesting podcast with him. Uh, you know, his reflections. Uh, with lean, but you know, I'm curious, have, have you taken a larger group to Japan or have you considered that for what you can see and learn? Yes, our, our LIDS, our Dutch network for lean and healthcare, which has about 60 uh, health organizations as a member. We went last year to Japan, I think with uh, maybe oh, 14 okay. people or so. Oh, good. We were also at the dojo of, uh, of Toyota with uh, assembling ventilators and so. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Uh, and I, I visited the original Toyota uh, plant uh, where we could walk we were across uh, the plant to see how they were um, uh, assembling cars. And that is, uh, it, it does strike you when you watch it, the, 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 the rhythm and the smoothness and how, 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 what an incredible level of, of a factory it is, but also how the how the leadership reacts to the people working there on the floor. That was very interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. How they immediately interact, uh, help them, and then you see small moments of teaching happening uh, continuously. Very powerful, very interesting. Yeah, because you know, to your question about uh, <laughs> you know, looking for stress, uh, you know, people in the Toyota factories I've seen in Japan and here in Texas, you know, people are working it seems intentional, but it's, it's not the least bit frantic or hurried right. or uh, stressful, um, which I, you know, I think is a, a really important point of, you know, the, the role of leaders, you know, uh, one of the former Toyota people, Daryl Wilburn, who was helping lead this, this group to Japan said, you know, it's, it's the responsibility of leaders to provide a system in which people can be successful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want the workers to collaborate with you in improving that system because mm-hmm. you know, nothing's perfect. So you need to give you know, uh, people a system that is at least good enough to be successful. Or unfortunately, I see in a lot of hospitals, the system is not set up for success. It's constant um, struggle, stress, overburden, uh, workarounds, firefighting. And you know a lot of that can't be fixed. I don't think it's fair 
to, to only tell the frontline employees you're empowered. I think at some point leaders need to also make sure that the system is uh, the least bit capable. If it's, it's hard to Kaizen chaos, my right. way of saying that. I, I completely agree. Um, uh, so I just had a thought and I'm, I lost it. Um, so your point was that you, know, you cannot expect people to improve uh, in chaos. Yeah, that, that small incremental Kaizen of a fundamentally incapable process. Right, yeah. So I have my thought again. Okay. Uh, I, I think our, we have quite good, uh, we have an 8.2 average patient satisfaction score. We have a plus 46 NPS score, net promoter score. So that's pretty positive. But I think it's um, despite our process quality. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's the workarounds that the professionals create to give the patient uh, in the end of the day good quality care is why we have such high scores and they appreciate they see the efforts they are taking but it's at the cost of a lot of stress uh, and i do agree that it's a, it's a management responsibility to create the conditions that the, the professionals can improve it and uh, so, so it is from both angles the management has to feel responsible to improve the system and, uh, and the professionals can improve the, the flow and the processes and the, and the direct experience. Yeah. Um, and it has to be collaborative also uh, between those two. The management, if the management is, is helping to improve uh, elements of the system, you learn a lot about the system and realize what needs to be changed in the total system. Yeah. And what we are experimenting with uh, starting next year is... Um, to empower uh, physicians and uh, managers to uh, have authority to uh, make decisions for patient flows throughout the hospital and to improve pa patient flows, uh, including uh, what time is spent on by supportive uh, staff, and, et cetera. Uh, so we, we, will, we have basically it's still a silo organization, as most hospitals. Um, and we think it's difficult to figure out how to move to a flow-oriented structure. So we start with it in a virtual structure. We keep a hierarchical structure, but we give authority for flow, uh, much more authority to improve flow throughout the system. Uh, and that's a management thing. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, we've got uh, a time constraint. It's my time constraint. I apologize for that. But maybe one other question before we wrap up, you, you were recently part of, or maybe helped um, organize, um, maybe I'm underselling your role, but there was the, the recent European Lean Healthcare Summit that, that Catalysis um, organized. Can, can you talk a little bit about how that event went and if there were any you know, kind of particular key takeaways for you? Yeah, we, we co-hosted it. Uh, yeah. It was in, uh, in different countries. So this year in the Netherlands, um, it was a, it was real fun to to organize it and to be part of it. Uh, and I liked it that it was actually quite international. Also Tanzania and South Africa and Singapore and yeah, a lot of uh, European countries and also US. Mm -hmm. um, well, what, me, what I liked personally most, uh, that also says something about where I'm looking at now, is that some of the best stories were uh, about um, uh, really 
going to the shop floor to the professionals and discussing them why we are doing what we're doing and how it's affecting them and what their ideas and experiences are. Um, and I think despite that we have quite some effort so far, we have a lot to learn on that. It's, 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 you need to make it very small and very often, bit by bit. Uh, try every day to have a conversation about that with a few people. And when I think about it, I really don't do that enough. Uh, and some of the best stories really had that element in them. Mm -hmm. So when you say you, you're, you weren't doing that enough, did, what, did you have some reflections on, on why that is or what, what you could do to do more of that in the future? Yeah, um, it sounds a bit embarrassing, but it's, it's simply being absorbed by all the bigger uh, programs or changes going on where, which take up a lot of your energy and time. Mm. And um, and that, that takes priority. But when you think long term, the priority has to stay with being present uh, at the where the professionals provide the the, the work, the gamba. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so easy to be distracted from that. But that's you have to find a way to uh, to to continue to be there on a daily basis. Yeah, well, didn't didn't mean to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but what no, you said is I no. appreciate you sharing that, and that's that's a real reality for many people in many organizations. So uh, I'm glad that uh, the summit uh, prompted you to 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 think about that and be more aware of that and, and change some of your practice. That's it's really what it's all about, right? None none of us are perfect. We never have this fully <laughs> figured out. Let's just keep keep getting better at our practice of lean, if you will. Right. I'm at a high, much higher level of confusion again. <laughs> well, uh, confusion leads to learning that, right? Right. Yeah. Um, do, you have, do you have any kind of final uh, thought that you might, might want to uh, share with the audience to wrap up the podcast here? Yeah, just as a, what I see as a trend in my hospital in the Netherlands um, is that uh, lean is becoming much more integrated with uh, many of the other um, developments like value-based healthcare, quality systems in general. I think until now it has been uh, the first phase was learning about it, figuring out whether it's uh, sustainable and really fits. And now I see it going to the next phase, uh, how to integrate it. And I think that that's really, really important. Otherwise it will not become sustainable. Yeah. So it should not be a separate thing. Yeah. No, I agree. That's that's well said. Maybe we can explore that and uh, some other other topics in a future future podcast. So, Mark, thank you for uh, taking time out of your evening there uh, to to talk and share and reflect a little bit here. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It was uh, really nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.